Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey by two ways. One passion food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. A handful of stuff we're going to get into today in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. As always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in, being part of the show. Really, the meat and potatoes of what I want to get into today is I want to bring up a conspiracy theory talking about the 1914 Boston Braves. And you may say, hey, you're talking baseball history. It may be boring, but... I bet you after you hear what I have to say, you may start to wonder whether there could have been a fix on that World Series as well. I do want to talk a little bit about the worst teams in the NBA. We seem to be breaking down the top teams, the teams that we think are in the best position to win themselves an NBA championship, to make a run in the playoffs this year. I'm going to talk about probably the 10 worst teams in the National Basketball Association. But before I get into my first point, I have to get a little bit of something off my chest. I'm kind of getting a little tired of the pandemic that's going on in the country. The fact that people are basically being led like they're a flock of sheep for something that, yes, has killed. It's a virus. But the percentage of people that are dying from this virus that's out there is not in the thousands. It's not in the hundreds of thousands. It's not in the millions. It's not the plague. But the precautions that are being put out there where people are afraid to go to work, people are afraid to do anything or live their life. I think it's a crock of crap. And I think people should take a step back and realize that they may be being misled. They may be misled by a government. They may be being less. They may be being misled by the media, and that may be the bigger problem than this actual virus that's going on. So, sticking, we're about a week away from the NFL draft, and you know a lot of possibilities certainly. And this is probably one of the bigger or stronger drafts that we've seen in the past couple of years. I think you can go up to really the top 20 or so players and put them all with a team and say, hey, that individual player is going to help that team out. And that team is going to get better. And they're players that play all types of different positions. There's a couple quarterbacks, of course. We know Joe Burrow is going to go number one to the Cincinnati Bengals. There's a couple other quarterbacks that you know are going to go maybe top five or top seven or top eight. You got four top tackles. You got a cornerback that could be considered the best defensive player in the draft. You have a linebacker that runs, what, a 4-3-40 in in Elijah Simmons. Chase Young may be one of the best edge rushers that we've seen in drafts in a recent series of years. And I think it's it's good if you're in a top part of the draft to kind of be in a position to pick and choose. And I don't think teams would be as – interested in trading up as they've been in past years. Now think about it. If you're the New York football giants, Dave Gettleman sitting there with the number four pick, he knows he's not taking a quarterback. Daniel Jones is going to be his quarterback of the future. Then you got Miami and San Diego, obviously the Los Angeles Chargers in positions five and six. 
ready to take a quarterback. If they offer you something to move up, you know they're taking a quarterback. They're not taking, you know, the top offensive tackle away from you, likely. And if they do, you're still in a position to take that second best offensive tackle. There's four top offensive tackles, not even the discussion we could have about the wide receivers. Now, we know wide receiver is a position you want to be careful when you draft a guy too high. You know, there, are, there hasn't been really a Julio Jones in a long time taken in the first round of the draft. In fact, some of the better wide receivers we've seen over the last couple of years have been drafted in rounds two, three, and four. But there's up to maybe four or five legitimate first-round talent wide receivers there. So you got that. You got the tackles. You got the couple defensive players that I mentioned. And you know that the obsession is going to be out there for teams that are going to want to bring in quarterbacks. You know, it always seems to trump anything else that a team's looking to do. The best overall player may not be a quarterback, but likely in this day and age, the top quarterback is going number one. Joe Burrow is going to be playing for the Cincinnati Bengals next year. He's okay with it. That was the big question, whether Joe Burrow wanted to play there, whether he wanted to be a John Elway who didn't want to play for the Baltimore Colts or an Eli Manning that didn't want to play for, at the time, the San Diego Chargers. Joe Burrow is okay playing in Cincinnati, so that's where he's going. Bengals are going to have their new quarterback. And obviously, you know about the circle and the carousel of quarterbacks that exist in the National Football League once free agency starts. Tom Brady could be the one domino. He ends up going somewhere else, then there are probably going to be a lot of other quarterbacks that are changing teams. Tom Brady stays in New England. Let's say, hypothetically, Ryan Tannehill stays in Tennessee then you're going to look at the amount of quarterbacks that are changing teams, and it'll be a little more minimal. It may be down to just a small group led by Andy Dalton and Phillip Rivers and Marcus Mariota. Jameis Winston may stay in Tampa Bay. Teddy Bridgewater probably moving out of New Orleans to compete for a starting job somewhere. So teams are going to be getting their quarterback the amount or the, the quality of free agent quarterbacks, it may be Phillip Rivers and the couple other guys I mentioned. If you're a team looking for a quarterback, do you go into the draft? How much do you believe in Joe Burrow if you're the Cincinnati Bengals? Well, you know, you kind of made your bed with it. Justin Herbert, Jordan Love, Tua, Tagliavoa. You know, we've heard about Tua for a couple of years about how he's going to be this big star. Now we know the major injury that he suffered in a in, in the postseason game last year. You know, is that going to derail him? Is that going to make a team like Miami, who seemed like they were the perfect fit for Tua? They were tanking for Tua until all of a sudden they realized that there were teams a lot worse than them in the National Football League. But this draft will be fun. And one of the things that should stand out about this draft, and listen, if I'm wrong, I'll admit it down the road, I think this draft has the potential to be one of the strongest drafts in National Football League history. 
This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and the Solar Fair Entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPielli.com and JohnPielli LLC is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charging admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So I wanted to spend a little time talking about the NBA, but before I do that, I wanted to bring up the school in Gonzaga. And I don't think it gets discussed that much because you're looking at a program that, you know, maybe is finally in the best position to win their first national championship in college basketball. They're sitting there at 31 and two right now. They're ranked number one in the entire country. And, you know, I'm old enough to remember when Gonzaga was that, that mid-major school that nobody was talking about or nobody was given any credit to. And the year was 1998 going into 1999. They finished with a 28-7 record, made the NCAA tournament, only the second time in school history. Dan Munson was the head coach. Dan Munson, I'm sorry. And like I said, they lost in a regional final. They made it all the way up to the Elite Eight in 1999. Since then, they have been a tournament team every year, which is amazing. You look back and you're talking about over 20 years, Gonzaga has been in the NCAA tournament. They're not spoken about as that Cinderella team anymore, but they still never won a national championship. And I think if there's a year that it's going to gonna be it, you think about all those major powerhouse schools really outside of Kansas, outside of maybe Duke, who's a top 10 team, but not a top three team. Think of the likes of Baylor and Dayton and San Diego State. No disrespect meant to any of those schools. They're all going to be high seeds in the upcoming tournament. But they don't have the history that Gonzaga has. And maybe for once, you'll look at the history of Gonzaga and maybe this is the year that they finally win their national championship. So switching over to the NBA. We haven't had this much discussion about the bad teams in the NBA. A lot of talk has been on the Lakers and the Clippers, which is the best team out West. We know that the Lakers hold a five or so game lead. They're probably going to be the number one seed in the Western Conference. You know, out in the East, Milwaukee is running rough shot. They got a six and a half game lead over Toronto. It's great. Toronto's defending their NBA championship pretty strong in spite of not having their star and Kawhi Leonard, who helped lead them to the championship last year. And you think of the top teams in the East, whether it's Boston or Miami or Indiana or Philadelphia, and you think of Brooklyn, Orlando, a couple teams looking to slip in, sizable enough leads that they probably should be the seventh and eighth seed over in the West. You got LA and LA and Denver and Utah. Not a lot of people are talking about Denver. I think they've kind of been dismissed a little bit. Everybody's thinking Lakers Clippers and you know what, if they want to really believe in somebody, it'll throw some hope behind James Harden, Russell Westbrook and Houston Rockets. But outside of that, Denver, it has really took some huge steps last year in becoming that complete team. I think they they could be a surprise team, even though they're going to have likely the number three seat. There's Utah, OKC. 
You know, Oklahoma City was thought to have been tanking this year. They made the Westbrook trade. They moved out Paul George. Chris Paul was thought to be, you know, disgruntled when he was there. And he's helped that young team probably get to the playoffs this year. They might be the fifth seed. Dallas, Memphis. Portland's been a little bit of a disappointment. You know that Damian Lillard's been hurt. He, he's, had a, he's had a great season. Maybe an MVP type of season if it wasn't for the likes of LeBron and Giannis and, you know, people of that echelon. He's just not on their level. He's had a great year. But I wanted to spend a little time talking about the uh, the foul of the National Basketball Association, the uh, the cellar dwellers, the termites, the cockroaches of the National Basketball Association. And it's a shame because you talk about one team that will stand out as the worst team in the National Basketball Association this year. And it's a team that has been the best in the NBA over the last five years. They've won three NBA championships, been to five straight NBA finals. And that's the Golden State Warriors. The same Golden State Warriors that lost Clay Thompson. They're not going to have him this year. He's injured. Kevin Durant leaves as a free agent. Steph Curry gets hurt within, what, the first week or two of the season, misses 50-something games. Now, without Durant and without Thompson, it was likely that this Golden State team was not going to be at the level that it was over the past five years. Could they have slipped in and maybe been a playoff team with a healthy Steph Curry all season? I don't know. I mean, the bottom or the bottom seeds of the Western Conference is a little has been a little bit weaker than it was in past years. You, it may be the first time in a while that you're seeing a team make the playoffs in a Western Conference with a losing record. Memphis has a losing record at this moment. Usually, the Western Conference has eight or nine teams with a winning record. So it may it could have been a better chance for the GSW, the Golden State Warriors to get themselves in a playoff position with a healthy Steph Curry. The bottom line is that didn't happen. May have happened. The injury to Curry, the injury to Thompson in the playoffs last year, the loss of Durant could have happened at the most opportune time. A time where the Golden State Warriors may have a solid lottery pick in next year's draft. Something they haven't thought about having in a long time. You think of other teams, perennial losing teams like the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, the Detroit Pistons are in that group. The New York Knicks been playing a little better basketball since they moved on from David Fisdale. You still really don't know what that identity is there. You'd like to see for balance of power in the National Basketball Association you know that the league thrives when the major cities thrive. And the New York Knicks have been starved for a quality basketball uh, product for a while now. You're talking about 20 years. You're talking about one playoff appearance in that span of time. You'd like to see a team like the Knicks win the lottery. But win the lottery in a year, let's say like last year. When you got guys like Zion Williamson and Ja Morant, the Knicks get the third pick and they take R.J. Barrett. You know, good for them. R.J. Barrett can still be a pretty good player. But at the same time, it, he's not Ja Morant. 
he's not going to be Zion Williamson. And you see what those players have done for the individual teams that they have gone to. So, I mean, it's interesting. Like I said, Detroit's going through a rebuild. Minnesota has decided to go through a rebuild in spite of building a team around some very good young players that they drafted. They never kind of got anywhere. And I looked at them last year, and I'll admit it. Like I said, if I claim something and it turns out to not happen, I will stand there and I'll eat the cake or eat the egg that's on my face. I thought the Minnesota Timberwolves were going to be good last year. I thought they were going to be able to put that talent together and be a solid playoff team. Maybe not the best team in the West. I didn't see them competing with the Warriors or the Rockets or anybody on that level. But I looked at the Timberwolves last year, and I thought that that was going to be the chance to finally have everything together, the balanced roster of good young players, and it just never worked out. Now they're back in rebuild mode. The Phoenix Suns are getting a little better. The San Antonio Spurs taking a little bit of a step back. The Chicago Bulls, the Charlotte Hornets, a couple teams that have seemed to, in the last couple years, especially the Hornets, always seem to be in a rebuild. The Bulls could go up, could go down. They've obviously not been the same since the days of MJ. So here's what we want to talk about today. Everybody knows, or at least anybody that follows baseball knows about the 1919 Black Sox. Um, a lot of the disgruntledness that existed there that would cause a team of players to revolt against winning, to intentionally lose a World Series because of the power of the gamblers. It's something that you would not believe in this day and age, of course. You wouldn't believe it, really, probably for the better part of the past 100 years. Really, since Kennesaw Mountain Landis became the commissioner, banned the eight men out for life, and made a very strong imprint on the game by saying, listen, we find that you're betting on baseball, let alone throwing a World Series, you're going to be banned for life. It looks like it's something that's worked. We know about Pete Rose and the case that he's against. And for those of you that are against Pete Rose being reinstated in baseball, you know, while the point is taken that he bet on baseball, he shouldn't have bet on baseball, he disobeyed a rule that was pretty much right out in front of him. It wasn't that he didn't know about it. It hid nothing away from what he did as a baseball player. It hid nothing away that he was the epitome of the way baseball was supposed to be played. The 50, the 50 I'm sorry, the 4,250 hits that he had over the course of his Major League Baseball career, every single one of them were legitimate. Every single one of them were a testament to the player that Pete Rose was. And Pete told me the most proud moment that he had in baseball history, the record that he has, that he think is, thinks is the most proud and is the most proud of, is Pete Rose was part of more winning games than any player in baseball history. Now, a lot of that had to do with the fact that he played for, what, 26 seasons, 25 seasons, 24 seasons? Long time. Talking about a quarter century, he played in Major League Baseball just about every game, every season. 
but he was a winning player. Like I said, a bad gambler, person that a lot of people may say, hey, I just don't like P. Rose. But I digress because what I want to talk about today is something that baseball historians have not spent a lot of time talking about. I've asked John Thorne, and John Thorne's answer to this question was more of ambivalence. It wasn't, you know, that he could say yes or no. He respected me for asking a question. He said it was a good question, but he said that there's really been nothing out there to be able to prove any wrongdoing. And I'm talking about the 1914 Philadelphia Athletics. And if you want to do a little bit of research in baseball history, the Connie Mack team of the early part of the 19 teens from 1910, 11, and the 13, the team won the World Series three out of four years. Some of the best players in baseball at that time, a stacked roster. They were known to have the $100,000 infield with Stuffy McGinnis, Eddie Collins, Jack Barry, and home run Baker. Star pitchers like Eddie Plank and Chief Bender, but also had Joe Bush, Bob Shockey. Her Pennock was just 20 years old in 1914. So this is a team that really was the first dynasty in Major League Baseball history. And you think of the Red Sox, who became prevalent a little bit after them. And, of course, the Yankees, who really starting in the 1920s, won in three World Series in that decade, took off after that. It was the Philadelphia Athletics that were really the first big-time juggernaut team in Major League Baseball, certainly after the two leagues merged. So what is factual about what was going on at this time is that there was some animosity amongst the players of the Philadelphia Athletics. That has been proven. In fact, if you look at the 1914 Philadelphia Athletics, switch them on to what becomes the 1915 Philadelphia Athletics, a team that should have won the World Series in 1914, which I'll get to in a little bit, lost 109 games in 1915. Their $100,000 infield was not quite that. Home run Baker was with the Yankees. Eddie Collins was traded to the Chicago White Sox, where ironically, he's part of the Black Sox of 1919. One of the good guys, one of the guys that didn't have skin in the game. Jack Barry is off to the Boston Red Sox. Will be part of a team that wins a couple World Series championships down the road. So just Stuffy McGinnis is there. Napoleon Lajaway comes back at age 40 just to, to provide a little bit of leadership. Yeah, Bender's gone. Chief Bender ends up going to the, the Federal League, which is an outlaw league that's trying to compete with Major League Baseball in 1915. So you put all that together, and then you start to try to build the case of what happened. Is this a Charlie Comiskey type of situation with Connie Mack, who by this point is owning the Philadelphia Athletics? And one thing that we know is common at this time is the divide between the players and the owners is real. There is a legitimate issue between the compensation of players, the players basically being treated as property, and the very tough 
wretched owners that are not looking to budge. They're not looking to compensate their best player much more than they're getting paid. So these players in their own mind are underpaid. And we're also talking about a time, and I hate to say it because we like to talk about baseball being so glorious, the sanctity and pureness of Major League Baseball. It doesn't exist at this time. I believe, and I'll go as far as saying that sanctity and pureness of Major League Baseball never existed, but it certainly doesn't at this time. Gamblers got skin in the game. Gamblers have more money than these players are ever going to come across in their lives. So I've got enough of the backdrop of the story to bring in the Boston Braves. The Boston Braves of the 1914 season stand out for a lot of different reasons. This is a team that, since the inception of the National League, had some good years in the 19th century. But pretty much a doormat of the National League. They find a year where a couple teams are down. The Cubs kind of aren't what they are. The Giants have a good team, but not a great team in regards to their performance. And the Boston Braves start the season 33 and 43. 10 games under 500. Kind of looking at it as par for the course for the Boston Braves. They go on a ridiculous run in the second half. And this is probably, if you think of the Washington Nationals last year, at what? What were they? Uh, 30 and 41 or something like that? 29 and 41? 12 games under 500, they end up going out there winning 90 plus games. How about this? The Boston Braves were 33 and 43 after the first half. In the second half, they go 61 and 16. That's a 792 winning percentage. That's winning almost eight out of every 10 games that they play over the course of the rest of the season. End up winning the National League. They're playing the Philadelphia Athletics in the World Series. And the storybook finish is the fact that the Boston Braves go out there and they win. They win. They sweep the Philadelphia Athletics. And they become the most miracle team to ever win a World Series in baseball history. More of a miracle than the 1989, I'm sorry, the 1990 Cincinnati Reds. More of a miracle than the 1969 New York Mets. And I remember asking Art Shamsky, what do you, you know, what do you know about the Boston Braves? And he's basically, he's listening. He said, I, you know, I haven't researched it enough. And I'm saying, listen, 1969 Mets were outstanding. A great story for baseball. Did something that very few teams could ever do. Especially where they were down in July. Especially where they came from in the first, whatever, seven years of their, their franchise history. Six years. 1914 Boston Braves are the biggest miracle amongst any team that's ever won a World Series in baseball history. So we take that great story led by Hank Gowdy, the catcher, who has a great World Series. Uh, amongst notables on that team, Johnny Evers, who ends up going into the Hall of Fame as part of that Tinker Evers to chance infield with the Chicago Cubs. Um, you think of pitchers. Nobody really stands out. A right-hander by the name of Bill James won 26 games. Dick Rudolph was a pretty good pitcher, had a good career. He won 26 games. 
But outside of that, there's really no notables on this team. So they go out there, they win the World Series championship. And of course, because we're talking about something that's 105, 106 years ago, nobody cares about. I'm going to give you a reason to care about. What if there was enough research that was done to determine that that World Series was not on a level? What if the Philadelphia Athletics players, who you know there was bitterness and animosity amongst them, Chief Bender can't wait to get out there and go to the Federal League after the season. Connie Mack, as the season's over, can't wait to trade off all his players because he's made it known that he can't afford to pay them. Excuse me. That $100,000 infield demolished by the time the next season finishes. In 1916, the Philadelphia Athletics have one of the worst teams in Major League Baseball history. They lost 116 games. And I know we want to give a lot of accolades to the Boston Braves. Great job. They won the World Series. The only World Series that ever went in Boston. They won another one in 1957 in Milwaukee and another one in 1995 in Atlanta. The only team in Major League Baseball history to win three World Series championships in three different cities. But what if the athletics threw that World Series? What if there was a smoking gun like there was in 1919 with the Black Sox? If the gamblers controlled the 1914 World Series, they did a hell of a job. If the gamblers had skin in a game and paid off some of the members of the 1914 Philadelphia Athletics, there's never been any evidence to prove it. And John Thorne told me, he said, listen, while I may not be wrong in my my, my feelings that maybe there was something up here, it's never been proven. It's never been proven that there wasn't. It's never been proven that there is. And I just think amongst the baseball historian community, there should be more research done about what happened in 1914 and the Boston Braves. I'm looking at the odds of what the odds had to be in that World Series. The Philadelphia Athletics, three World Series championships in the last four years, Going up, yes, against a an up and coming miracle brave team that went, you know, sixty one and sixteen in their last seventy seven games. Athletics had to be favored by a lot, though, right? A little bit of a recap of the show today. I talked about the people that are going out of their minds, losing it over this coronavirus thing. I I pray, we'll continue to pray that things end up going the right way. This thing doesn't spread the way. It almost seems like the media wants it to spread. The general public almost seems to want this thing to spread. Wash your freaking hands. And I know it's hard to not worry when there's a pandemic going on, when the media is basically talking about it every day. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to live my life any differently. I'm going to wash my hands And I'm going to get myself a job in radio. I'm going to wash my hands and continue to do my show. I'm going to wash my hands and continue to show up to work every day. I'm going to wash my hands and continue to be a husband and a father and a friend. I'm not changing my life because the media and the general public is trying to make this thing bigger than it is. Broke down a little bit of the upcoming NFL draft. A very, very deep draft. And I'm excited about it because you really can look at the entire first round or day one of the draft 
and say that every team that picks a player could have a legitimate star, a legitimate contributing player in the first round of the draft this year. The NBA, we spoke about the worst teams in the NBA. Golden State Warriors might be in a great position to win the lottery. Maybe the Knicks finally get that number one overall pick. But is this upcoming draft as strong as the top two players in uh, Zion Williamson and John Morant in last year's draft? Talked about Gonzaga. This really would be a great year for Gonzaga to win themselves their first national championship. 20-plus years consecutive getting in the tournament after only getting there once in the history of the franchise before that. And then finally, the 1914 Boston Braves. I want you to think about it. Did the Philadelphia Athletics throw that World Series? Try to provide some more information if I can. We're talking about something that's 100 plus years ago. There's never been a smoking gun. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com. By two ways. One passion food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. By St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. We'll be back with you, I don't know, maybe tomorrow. We'll see how it goes. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.